Hello, and welcome to the Pages and Popcorn Podcast. The podcast where we, Jennifer and Kalia, two book nerds, talk about movies based on books as well as the original source material. Two warnings. This podcast uses barnyard language. Why limit ourselves to only nice words? Some things warrant not-so-nice words. Also, spoiler warning. We will be talking about the endings of both book and movie, so prepare yourself. Okay. Let's get into it. It's the Pages of Popcorns Podcast. Jennifer and Kelly will edify. It's the Pages of Popcorns Podcast. Jennifer and Kelly are gonna talk, so you better damn well listen. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Pages and Popcorn Podcast. We will be discussing The Circle today, the movie, the book, the book, the movie, the messages, and answering that age-old question of, is this worth your time? Do they have salient points that will benefit our lives having spent time with this? Or was this just a flight of fancy? Anyways, but before we do that, Real quick, just a reminder that you can reach us at pagesandpopcornpodcast at gmail.com. You can find show notes, sources, links, and other fun, wonderful stuff at kmmamedia.com. And you can follow us on Facebook if you are enjoying our show, enjoying our supplemental episodes, enjoying our shadow and bone episode by episode recap, which just wrapped up last week. Please give us a like and a share. Please give us a review on whatever the pod places that you listen. And if you're feeling especially generous, please support us on Patreon. That $5 a month helps us keep making this awesome content. So that's it for my intro. Wasn't a very big intro, but that's okay because some things don't need a big intro. Some things you just want to jump right into the middle, right into the middle of the circle. Joining me in the studio today is Jennifer. Say hello to the people, Jennifer. Hello, people. There we go. So the Circle is a 2013 dystopian novel written by American author Dave Eggers. And then The Circle is a 2017 American techno thriller film. Well, thriller in quotes, directed by James Ponsolt with a screenplay by Ponsolt and Dave Eggers based on that 2019. 13 novel that I just mentioned. The film stars Emma Watson, Tom Hanks, as well as John Boyga, Karen Gillian, Elnar Coltrane, Patton Oswalt, Glean Headley, Bill Paxton. Oh my goodness, so many people. But here comes our recap. Before I start the recap, actually, I'll just say sometimes I write the recaps from scratch. Sometimes I steal them from places on the internet. That is what happened today. <laughs> This is basically the Wikipedia, but you can skip ahead if you want in the show notes and listed actually on the episode is the uh, timestamps. So if you are inclined to skip the recap, feel free. But if you would like to hear the recap, well, you're in luck. I'm about to do it. Here we go. May Holland, a recent college graduate, lands a job at The Circle, a powerful technology company run by the three wise men. May owes her job largely to her best friend and college roommate, Annie, one of the 40 most influential people of the company. May starts off in customer experience, the firm's customer service department, but quickly climbs the company ladder. 
From the beginning, May is impressed by the amenities of the circle, including access to top-notch technology, dorm-like housing, gyms, recreational activities, and lots and lots of parties. May's very first day at the circle ends with one such party where she encounters Francis, who remains a love interest throughout the rest of the novel. They're kind of on again, off again. Here's a weirdo. Later, May encounters and quickly becomes romantically involved with another man, a mysterious colleague named Calden, even though she's unable to verify his status at the company or even obtain his last name. The circle, by the way, is like a cult. They want to know everything and control everything and see everything, and they act like it's, you know, for your own good. May is at first a bit hesitant, but very quickly joins the bandwagon and wonders how she ever felt differently. Meanwhile, the circle continues to develop a range of sophisticated technologies, including true you, all of your apps, all of your sign-ins, all of your stuff in one place. Also, sea change, which are light portable cameras that can provide real-time video with minimal effort. Eventually, sea change cameras are worn all day long by politicians who wish to be transparent, allowing the public to see what they are seeing at all times. There is also a romantic app created by the circle to avoid misunderstandings and to make those first dates just perfect. Francis and May, an unwitting and at first embarrassed May, are used as examples for this technology. And May's big issue with it is that it only created a partial picture of who she is. Of course, that bug could be fixed if she would just give the circle complete access to everything about her. Another subplot is the diagnosis of May's father with multiple sclerosis, which eventually leads May to enroll her parents on her health care, which in turn drives them to install sea change cameras in their home. After a brief incident with her own legal issues, aka May steals a kayak and gets in trouble because there's cameras everywhere, May ends up agreeing to wear a sea change device herself, called, again, going transparent. This represents her own growing role in the company. It's epitomized by a public talk in which she insists, quote, secrets are lies another quote sharing is caring and then of course also quote privacy is theft may's job now mainly consists of touring the campus showing customers future products any hints of her own doubts about privacy seem dropped in contrast to her ex-boyfriend mercer who's still back home close to her parents he dislikes the internet he eventually insists on going off the grid to escape the more and more far-reaching influence of the circle and all of its technologies because it isn't just about using their products, it's about access. So the circle gets really upset if you do anything privately. You're never allowed to delete anything also. And in order to keep creating the sense of community, you have to constantly engage with your followers and with their followers and respond and click and zing and smile or frown and send smiles and frowns because that's how we know that the world matters is Something is popular, it gets lots of smiles. We don't like that fascist regime. Let's send them a bunch of frowns. I'm sure that'll make a big difference. Anyways, people are expected to respond to everything and anything and all of the things. And if you're even slightly slow to respond, people get all upset and your popularity standings go down because of course there's a popularity ranking involved. No one wants to have a low popularity ranking. Calden calls May, warning her that the circle must be stopped, but she refuses to listen. May's indoctrination into the company's use of peer pressure to invoke herd mentality is directly contrasted by the character of Mercer. Mercer represents a small portion of the book's world that rejects the circle's ever more intrusive technologies. Throughout the novel, he goes from having a benign distaste to the ways of the present to attempting to escape from his doomed society. 
Meanwhile, Annie becomes envious of May's success and volunteers to be the test subject for a new circle program called Past Perfect, a new product that tracks a person's family history and activities in order to regain her standing within the company. Disturbing facts about Annie's family history come to light. Apparently, a couple generations ago, they owned slaves. She becomes increasingly stressed, eventually causing her to fall into a catatonic state. Embarrassed both by her parents' distrust of sea change, monitoring in their home, and the conduct of her ex-Mercer, all of which have been publicly accessible to May's millions of followers, including a sex act by her parents, May becomes upset, and while demonstrating a program designed to catch fugitives within minutes, uses it to find Mercer. He attempts to escape using his truck, but after drones prevent him from getting away, Mercer seems to make a decision and drives off a bridge in front of a billion people that May is streaming to live. While initially depressed, May soon rationalizes Mercer's death with the help of the charismatic wise men, Eamon Bailey and Tom Stenson, concluding that he was really just an extremely depressed, asocial human being who refused society's help. They compare his actions to a person committing suicide by jumping out of the window after being visited by a doctor. The circle is pretty much used by everyone, and so they start using it to vote for silly things like, should we have more vegan options in the cafeteria, etc. And then, wow, everybody's voting. This is really important. We can freeze all of your access until you voted. Wouldn't that be really convenient if we made it so that this is how people could vote in national elections? It seems like a grand idea to the circle cult. But... Calden is, in fact, the third missing wise man, Ty, the original inventor and founder who came up with the idea for the company. May agrees to meet with him in secret, and he tells her that this totalitarian regime will soon arise if nothing is done to stop it, equating it to a surveillance society. He explains the need for privacy in the digital age and asks for her help to take the circle down. He says he cannot do it alone. May thinks that he is crazy, but pretends to go along with him, but then betrays him by telling the other founders what has happened. They ensure that Ty is silenced. The book ends with May looking at Annie, who's in her coma in the hospital, and wondering when the time will come that the circle will develop enough technology to read people's thoughts, saying, quote, the world deserves nothing less and would not wait, unquote. So apparently, even in a coma, the circle feels entitled to know what you're thinking. The end. And then they made a movie. 2017, here we go, recap. Through her friend Annie, call center intern May Holland, Emma Watson secures a customer support position at the Circle, a tech and social media company. May's long-term friend Mercer is less supportive, but May takes the job hoping to support her parents, particularly father who suffers from MS. At a company meeting, CEO Eamon Bailey introduces SeaChange, which uses small cameras placed anywhere and everywhere to provide real-time high-quality video. May quickly rises in the circle, embracing social networking and meeting Ty, who displays suspicion of other more enthusiastic employees. At an outdoor company rally emphasizing the need for accountability in politics, the circle's chief operating officer, Tom Stenton, introduces Congresswoman Olivia Stanters, who agrees to open her daily workings to the public through going transparent by wearing sea change all the time. Ty subsequently shows May the area containing the cloud servers where all the information collected by Sea Change is to be stored. May is embarrassed when she realizes that Ty is the creator of True You, the Circle social network, and she had not recognized him. He tells her that True You has grown out of his control, and his current util utilization is not what he intended. Later, May sees a chandelier that Mercer made from deer antlers and gifted to her parents. She photographs it and shares it on her Circle profile. 
The image attracts significant negative attention to Mercer with people accusing him of killing the deer. Mercer confronts her at work and tells her to leave him alone. Distressed by Mercer's reaction, May steals a kayak and goes kayaking at night and the rough waters cause her kayak to capsize requiring rescue by the Coast Guard who are alerted to the emergency through those sea change cameras. They recorded her acquiring the kayak and capsizing it. Okay, at the next meeting, Eamon Bailey introduces May to the crowd and they discuss her experience and the rescue and this moves her to become the first circular to go completely transparent, which also obviously involves wearing that small camera and exposing her life to the world 24 hours a day. However, this damages her relationship with her parents when she accidentally sees them in a sex act and it is broadcast to her millions of followers. Also, her conversations with Annie are all now weird, not authentic, and Annie distances herself from May as a result. At a board meeting, Eamon announces support from almost all 50 states for voting through circle accounts. May takes it a step further and suggests requiring every voting citizen to have a circle account. In order to do so, Eamon and Tom approve, but the suggestion upsets Annie. At the next company-wide meeting, May says the circle believes it can find anyone on the planet in under 20 minutes and introduces a program to find wanted felons at the same time frame. The program identifies an escaped child murderer within 10 minutes, which prompts the circlers in the audience to erupt in applause. May uses this successful test to suggest transparency can be a force for good. May says that the program can find anyone, not just wanted felons. Someone suggests let's find Mercer. May is initially hesitant to use the program to locate Mercer, but Tom persuades May to continue and Mercer is quickly located in an isolated cabin. Startled by the circle users descending upon his home, he flees in a car. The circle user places a small camera on his car window without his knowledge or consent. May's upset. She asks people to be kind, but she can't stop this social media train wreck. Speaking of wrecks, the circulars pursue him via automobile and flying drones, which eventually cause Mercer to swerve uncontrollably off a bridge to his death, much to May's horror. Days later, May calls Annie, who has left the circle, returned to Scotland, which has improved her well-being. May, however, finds a connection with others, helps her cope with May's, Mercer's death. She returned to the circle despite her parents' pleas. May says she's going to fix it. She asks Ty for a favor. Ty agrees to help her with her secret plan to fix the circle. At the next company-wide meeting, May explains how connection has helped her recover. She speaks with Eamon and then Tom on stage, invites Eamon and Tom to go fully transparent. She explains that Ty has found all their email accounts and exposed them all to the world as no one should be exempt. Eamon and Tom, clearly upset, try to save face before Tom leaves the stage. The superiors cut the power to her presentation and the stage goes dark, but the audience activates their mobile devices, illuminating May, who reiterates her advocacy of transparency. It's a new day, she proclaims before stepping out into the light. She later returns to kayaking, untroubled by the drones that shadow her. The end. Riveting. In yes. a not sarcastic way. Oh. <laughs> Please don't unfollow me. <laughs> like <laughs> like like and share like and share like, like and share like 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 i will zing you <laughs> i'll zing you i'll zing you <laughs> okay i bought this book at a used bookstore not too terribly long ago because the cover of it looked interesting and then i read it and i was like this is kind of interesting it has some interesting thoughts and i have opinions about it and then i noticed on the front of this book on the cover that i so liked originally is a sticker made into a movie yeah the sticker says now a major motion picture and i thought oh <laughs> how did i never ever know that this must be how old is this i it i so off my radar and 2017. you know what here's i mean yeah i figured that out but like yeah. 
I, in 2017, I was 26 years old. Like I was watching movies. No, I was 36 years old. I'm, I, I don't know how old I am, whatever. It's not that long ago. My point is I was watching movies. I know Tom, Tom Hanks. I know Emma Watson. Like I, how in the world did I completely miss this movie? I don't remember seeing a preview for it. I don't remember anybody talking about it. Nothing. Yeah, it was completely off the radar for me too. Yeah. And there's a lot of names in here, like big names. <laughs> so, so then I thought, well, maybe it's really awful. So now I really want to see it and see how they butchered this book into this movie. And now I know how. <laughs> Hooray. I don't think there was a whole lot to butcher. That is a very valid point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But despite the flaws, and there are many, they, there are some interesting questions there are some interesting things and this book is speculative fiction it is sci-fi because it's the nearish future it has technology that we don't actually have but it is kind of sort of in our contemporary world and sci-fi as we've talked before on this podcast the whole point of a lot of sci-fi and speculative fiction is to take an idea or a theme or an issue that we're dealing with now and to extrapolate it into you know the the illogical slash logical extreme and then point at it and be like there but for the grace of you know who's he what's it go I right like like be aware that this is a thing and and also sometimes it's symbolic it's like this is a real problem we're struggling with so let's talk about it in kind of a safe genre context so that we can deal with it so in that respect this book is obviously trying to talk about some major things like privacy and corporate and social media and access and knowledge and the internet and all of that stuff. So let's talk about privacy, shall we? All right. So the funny thing about this is that we've always, we've grown up with 1984, where it's the government who's invading your life. And instead of the government, it's business. And because it's business, we're a lot more flexible. So if you ask me in high school, if I would be okay with carrying around a tracking device, I would have said, oh, God, no, that sounds horrific. I just read 1984. No. What do I do now? I carry around a tracking device. Right. Voluntarily. <laughs> when we were kids and they said, don't get into cars with strangers. And, and then when the internet became a thing, don't tell the internet, you know, your real name or where you live. And now I literally use the internet to tell strangers where I live. So they'll come over and pick me up and I'll get in their car and they'll uber me somewhere right like it's it's a it's a whole different world than we would have been i mean and this was 2013 this is kind of pre-uber but still like 2013 2003 1993 1983 going all the way back to your 1984 reference it is the world has changed very dramatically in terms of social media as, a, as an actual concept we never even heard of the idea of social media back when i was in high school it wasn't a phrase that we knew Oh, it wasn't a thing. Like, um, MySpace wasn't invented until I was in college. Ditto. Yes. We're, yeah. we're dating ourselves quite a bit here. We're both of the Oregon Trail generation, I think. Yes. That's <laughs> a good way to put it. So, yeah, it is. So it's interesting, right? And now I have a child um, and she has friends who are on social media and have social media accounts. And there's this question about how old should you be and what information should be out there. And there's like the prevalence of sex traffickers and people kidnapping children and all sorts of 
horrible things that are connected with social media. And then there's bullying and yada, yada, yada. And that's not even really what we started this with was privacy. <laughs> Just, I, and I, I like the slippery slope that happens here because it starts off with secrets are lies. Okay. And in our house, we have a rule in our house that there are no secrets. There can be surprises, but there are no secrets. Okay. So that is like a rule in our house because, um, we both, we, as a parents lived through the eighties and the nineties and, you know, know about child abuse and, and, you know, children being uh, traumatized or hurt by friends and family and friends of family. And, you know, all, and we watch law and order SVU, right? So okay, no secrets. There's just no secrets. That's just always the thing. There's surprises and no secrets. And so, okay, secrets are lies, but that's a family, not a societal rule, right? Which is when it gets a little bit more murky. That bothers me, you know, that lies are secret and they're not, they're not. And as, um, you know, children grow up, a big part of becoming an adult is becoming autonomous. And that requires a movement away from parents. So I understand, you know, at three years old, there, there are no secrets, but at, 15 yeah there needs to be independence i didn't say that there wasn't and there's privacy okay. but that's different than secrets secrets is like keeping something potentially harmful. important or harmful away from other people because it's like a shameful thing or you're not supposed to you know uh, that's there's privacy good grief privacy is a thing but that's what I'm talking about, are like the tenants that this book is using to support their anti-privacy thing. So like you can start off by saying, yeah, we shouldn't have secrets. But then if you go to the next level of everybody's entitled to know everything, that's a very different thing. I don't have any secrets from my daughter, but I answer her questions in an age appropriate way. And I don't volunteer information about my sex life. Right. Because I go privacy. to um, mandatory response. Uh mandatory reporter rules is you can have something that's private between you and somebody, but if it becomes a, a issue of endangerment, that's a difference. Right. So yeah, mandatory re a reporter. So then the next little tenant that they use to justify this anti-privacy thing is sharing is caring, right? Again, something that we teach children. It's good to share. Sharing is good. But of course, we also know that like there's a limit to that. Like I said, it's age appropriate responses and we don't we don't volunteer private information because, you know, we just don't like we don't need to know that it's not relevant to her life, you know, and, and same thing with you. I didn't get on the phone with a Zoom call to you today and tell you the last time I picked my nose, how to bowel movement, masturbated. Like you don't need to know those things. No, you just told me at lunch. <laughs> Quiet, Jennifer. You're not supposed to tell the world. <laughs> But you know what I mean, right? We don't, we don't just volunteer private information right. to people. So, okay. So sharing is important, but it's not essential. It's, and I think that what both of those two things are missing is the idea of entitlement. And then that gets into their third thing, which is privacy is theft, which don't agree with at all. Right. So like you almost have a little buy-in on step one, you almost have a little buy-in on step two, but you're kind of getting into this, wait a minute. No, you're not thinking this through. Anytime you have a maxim, things are oversimplistic. And then you go into this third idea of privacy being theft. And you're like, no, hold the phone, because now you're talking about entitlement and it's stupid. Yeah, you're not entitled to other people's lives. Um, I'm going to add that there is a little bit of a cultural note on this. 
just because I've been in other cultures. And what was particularly startling when I was hanging out with um, my college uh, friends who are from Japan and Thailand and Taiwan is like talking about bowel movements. It, there's no problem. It's like, oh, are you still having stomach issues? I'm like, dude, shut up. That's like embarrassing, but they, there's different levels of shame and there's more um, issues with public spaces versus private spaces. You know, more things are in public spaces and so they're for everybody and your private space is a little bit more in your head. So I just wanna bring in a level that there is a cultural element to what we consider private and too much sharing, PMI, mm -hmm. which can be really fascinating to explore. A little bit beyond this, I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, and that's a really good point. This book is uh, very much set in like the Silicon Valley it even, you know, it, it puts itself in the Silicon Valley and then it has this fake city, which basically they say Fresno. It, yeah, it, like th this city is like um, a, a suburb of Fresno that, that her parents yeah. live in, which doesn't actually exist, which you wouldn't know unless you live here in the Central Valley, which I thought was hilarious. Go Fresno. Go you Fresno. Fres, yes. But no, I don't. Um, and and you know, so it's definitely California, but it's a very specific part of california and it is even though like i feel like the author is going out his way to like drop in little things about oh the diversity this person's black and this person's this color and this person is this it it feels very whitewashed in a lot of way in this you know anemic sort of racial diversity sort of way and the movie basically had that same that same thing yes there's people of color yeah it doesn't feel holistic right there's people of color but it's not diverse it's almost like name dropping yeah in a way oh look here's my black character and you know look at um it's kind of like to me looking at a college catalog when you look on the first page and oh look students are enjoying racial diversity on the lawn right i just to segue really fast i watched an episode i think it was scrubs not too long ago where they were like talking about how the black character was on the cover of their college you know brochure like you said and they'd photoshopped him in multiple places on the in the same picture because nobody would notice that it was the same black face because oh look at there's like five black people on the cover of this thing but it's actually all the same person <laughs> yeah that happens so okay there's this this part though about the privacy being theft right you're taking something away and again we, we've talked about entitlement but something that they said in both the book and the movie is that okay you have this experience right like she goes kayaking and she gets to see seals and the the moonlight on the water and blah 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 and he's like yeah well you know what my son has cerebral palsy and is stuck in a wheelchair and will never get to go kayaking so the only way he could experience that is if somebody takes a video of it so how dare you not share the video of this experience so that my son could experience it with you and okay i had my this first thought was there are cameras capturing her he could see the ocean like as much as you can like he would be experiencing it as much as possible without having her like level of dialogue on top of it well there's that but i also thought it was really interesting because i think that it presumes that watching something is the same as 
experiencing it. And he even says, you know, if somebody takes a video of them, you know, sailing in this American boat, whatever, then my son feels like he's sailed in the American boat, whatever. And I'm like, no, he's no. watched a video. It is not the same. We're not talking VR. Like this is not strange days. Did you see that movie? It was a fantastic underrated film. If anyone is out there wanting to watch a 1999 film that's like ahead of its time, uh -huh. it's a good film. It is a good film. And in this film, they basically put these little things on your head, like hidden under a wig or a hat or whatever. And it, and then it records while you're doing your thing. So I'm having sex. I'm having a threesome. That's what I'm going to do. I have this thing on my head and then I take it off my head. I put it on your head and now you get to experience everything that I felt like, but it's VR. So you feel the feelings and it's, it's a tactile experience and it's, you know, it's completely submersive. Okay. So, and obviously it was used for porn. It was used for lots of different things and including murder and suicide and blah, 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 because you know, this is a, a violent nineties movie, but this is not that this is literally just videos. And I thought if you're going to do this, Dave e e Eggers, if you're going to go into this idea of people being submersed into this other reality and being able to say, you know, keeping these experiences away, why not take it to the next level and have it actually be VR where you're living it out instead of just watching it on all of these screens. So I felt like that was almost a failure of imagination there. Oh, there's a failure of imagination on a number of areas. <laughs> I, I was seriously frustrated with this book. Uh, but the other one is like the level of guilt and there, it's never reciprocal. So you know, somebody's like upset that she didn't go to the Portugal thing. And then later on, he doesn't like her. And she's just like, well, couldn't she say my feelings were hurt? Why didn't you give me a like? I mean, it's, it's always pumped on her. It's always dumped on her. It's her guilt. It's people pressuring her to do all this stuff. Yes. And that's another aspect of it that I don't think the movie really hit very particularly well is that she gets all of these messages, right? Thousands of messages. And one of them is an invite to something and she doesn't respond. And then the guy is offended and she gets called into her boss and he's just like, why would you not respond to this? That hurts his feelings. That's not cool. You know, and then she's horrified. Oh my God, I feel so bad that I didn't respond to your thing and blah, 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 blah. And I thought it's this weird thing where we are expected to respond. And we already have a little bit of that, right? Like if I text you and you don't get back to me in a day, I'm like, what the hell van Jennifer? Like get back to me already. Right. If, if I send you an invite on Facebook to an event and you don't respond, I'm over here going, I mean, I know you've been on Facebook since I sent this message to you. So why wouldn't you, you know, we already do that. And so I found that kind of believable, the doubt, not believable because this book is crazy pants, but like, it made sense because that they're taking it to that extreme, but you know, it's lost in this milieu. And then later on in the book, she's responding. That's all she does is respond and respond and respond. And then people ask more and more and more. And that, that responsibility to be instantaneously aware and to respond super, super fast is interesting. And it's funny that this is touching on that. I know you and I both know people in our lives who don't like cell phones and don't like, and part of it is because people have this assumption that you're going to be able to be reachable 24 seven, you know, and that can be very frustrating for people who don't want to be reachable. I am a freelance person. I do gigs, people pay me. So what that means though, sometimes is that people will send me messages 
at any time and expect me to be able to answer their question or, or log on and fix their website or, you know, look at their resume or whatever it is, because I don't have quote unquote office hours. I'm always here. And I know that that's something that Matthew's been struggling with because now that he's working from home, you know, his company's like, well, we know you're not, you don't have to get in the car and drive to the office to check this. You could just walk down the hall. So just do it. It's nine 30 at night, but we know you're there, you know? Okay. So this became kind of an issue with businessmen uh, in the 90s when cell phones were becoming popular, that there was never any off time, there's never downtime, and the psychological effects of that were deteriorous. And I know that my friends, at least, are respectful that you don't always have the mental energy to respond. So that's one of those things with this book that I wish Eggers had beta tested it a little bit more because there are a lot of points where I'm going, hey, now, this is actually how things work. That's not like, I, I, I get that you're trying to say that if there's complete transparency, people won't be trolls. On Facebook, people have to use their real names. They still troll. They're still assholes. That doesn't change. People don't change. We are assholes to each other. And we can also be a lot more kind to each other in regards to having the mental capability of always having to respond. Yes, for sure. I think that's a really interesting point to think about trolls. This came out in 2013 and I feel like there were still a lot of fake names and such things happening on Facebook. Um, and that was becoming a very big deal about who's responsible for dealing with the trolls. Is it the you know, the, the website, the service provider, is it the people? And, and that's still a question that's going on right now that that's, that's, there's a big movement about that. And so it's very nice to think, oh, well, so solve this problem, why people will have their name, which doesn't happen. Um, I do think that we are getting, there's, because then you get doxing, right? So if I say something to you and you're offended, and then you tell your friends that I'm a horrible person, and then you share my you know, actual physical address. And then I get death threats and yada, yada. Yeah. That's accountability for my quote unquote troll like behavior that set it all off. But also like there's extremes and people go extremes on the internet. We we see that in Reddit. We see that in 4chan. We see that with, like I said, like with doxing and yeah. So that's, it's an oversimplistic fix of a problem. Oh, just use your real name. No problem. Then there's a lot of that in this book, actually. Even with your real name, I mean, people are still just dicks. Yeah. But people are dicks in real life. I mean, you wouldn't have bar fights if people weren't assholes. <laughs> so yeah, having your name, it doesn't change that people are assholes. You have to take the next step, which gets into censorship, which is kind of an interesting issue. What I find here is like, it's the polite bullying. Mm -hmm. We're going to bully you, but it's going to be in a nice way. And then you have people who, again, are dicks. So uh, what's uh, Mercer? Mm -hmm. yeah when when mercer is just you know people are going you're you're a sasquatch you're, it's like you're being an asshole but it's okay because you're on this person's side yeah and we that the dog piling you know piling yeah. on on and stuff and that this group think now listeners you might not know this but jennifer and i are in a, a book club together with other people not just us and well it's in part that, of our origin story it is <laughs> and part of that book club is that last month we, at the time of this recording, we read a book called So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Ronston. And he talks about this internet culture and the dog piling and the us versus them. And when you 
when you shame somebody for what they said or did on the internet and how it has these long-term ramifications and stuff. And I don't want to turn this into a book report on that book, but it is very interesting that we, we literally just read that book only a couple books ago compared to this one. So check it out on our, on our show notes and buy it via our affiliate link. So I will say the same thing about that book as I will say about this one is that they're not good books, but they make for interesting conversation pieces. I enjoyed the John Ronson book, but, and it does make for some very interesting conversation pieces, but more on this one, another thing besides the privacy and the social media aspect, um, which I want to talk some more about the social media, but another major theme is the uh, corporatocracy, corporatocracy, corporatocracy. I don't know how we say this word. This is also a blurb from the internet, but here we go. By the beginning of the novel, the circle has obviously assumed Facebook and Google and Twitter and many other social media sites, giving the company greater influence over the general populace than major politicians. This popularity pressurized politicians into going transparent, which we've talked about that. So they're recorded at all times. So this is supposed to get rid of all political corruption and like lobbying and special interest. And, you know, I scratch your back and you scratch mine, all of that stuff. But it is also heavily implied in the novel that the company uses their resources to frame politicians uh, who don't agree with them. And then there's this, then of course, like they develop their thing about voting and uh, the web not only supplements democratic institutions, but becomes the only institution in society. It's knowing, organizing, administrating everything. And I know that this is a thing that people have talked about, voting on Facebook, voting on your phone, voting on different ways of voting. You know, more people voted for our American Idol's finale than voted in like a midterm election not too terribly long ago. Like it's a thing. Um, and I think that it, it's it's a natural human progression to be like, oh, well, we already have this tool. Maybe we can use it. What I don't feel like this book did an accurate or a good enough job is discussing why that's dangerous. And I think that that's the problem with a lot of the ideas in this book, these people come up with this idea, like having a little tiny camera that can go anywhere, that can see anything, blah, blah, blah. And nobody really talks about the danger aspect of it. Oh, let's just vote online. But nobody talks about the safety, the security. I mean, you could get hacked, right? Like that's just not even ever brought up. Um, things could be manipulated. Who knows if 38% of the group of people really said they didn't want more vegan things at the cafeteria. We're just trusting that the app, the circle thing is telling us the truth. It could just be telling us anything. So there's no accountability built into these Oh, systems. but it's transparency, just transparency without accountability. This is one of like the little uh, plot, like back plots that got dropped in the book I'm like this is actually a really good conversation point I know your book is really long but I don't care about our boyfriends I would rather you explore this in a more meaningful way yeah. so the blackballed convicted framing of politicians or powerful people that never gets explored it's kind of like brought up and right now we're dealing with ransomware issues. Like that's a huge problem. There's nothing to be said about how secure this cloud is. Oh, it's in the cloud. Yeah, we've seen how often that gets hacked. Seriously. Things and get it, hacked all the time. Even in this book, she just walks on the campus 
right? They're tracking people based because she's she swallows a tracer at one point unknowingly, which is a whole other thing. And she's got her little Fitbit thing that's not a Fitbit, but whatever, it's recording her. But also people are just walking around. There's no security. And then the guy, Ty, he takes her down. There's like doors and he has to have his fingerprint to get in or whatever. But then they're literally just underground with these servers near these tunnels that go to the bay. And I was like, oh my God, I'm sorry. Have you not seen leverage? Like, this is so easy. <laughs> have you not just read like a newspaper? Because 007, anything. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day, this is still an issue. When this book was written, that was a huge issue. Yeah. So I, again, like there's a couple of good thoughts here, but they're just not really fleshed out or given. They're not given the 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 attention and the emotional weight that they deserve which is really disappointing a lot of this book feels like watching ben shapiro debate freshman college students where (laughs) they're very they're very intense and they're very impassioned students but they don't have the wherewithal to deal with the fast-talking shyster and so you're dealing with somebody who is not an honest debater he presents I'm talking about Eggers right here and Shapiro. There's a lot of straw men. There's a lot of really false arguments. And then you have this you know, kid who just doesn't know how to fight this barrage, who hasn't really formed a strong opinion or have the debate or analytical capacity to really go into this. So you have her talking to like the head of state, basically, going, well, you know, you're stealing from my son. And she's like, oh, God, I'm sorry, because she's 22 and an idiot. Right, exactly. Yeah. And that's supposed to be the big debate that we're given in this book. It's right. it's terrible. It's terrible it, writing. And and it's not a debate. It's not at all because May's bought into this hook line and sinker from the beginning. Like she doesn't struggle or have like a crisis of conscience. We project that on her at one point. We think maybe she's worried and she's worried about her parents and she has feelings, but it's very quickly supplanted by what she's being told she should be feeling. May is an awful person in this book. Like there's very little redeeming value to May. Protagonist, she's an awful protagonist just because there's nothing interesting about her. Mercer says it, you know, used to be interesting. I don't think she ever really was, but she's so weak and easily influenced. And that's not unusual for a 22 year old girl. Woman. Well, yes. Um, I'm kind of using girl just because she she doesn't have a fully formed sense of who she is. And so she, yes, she is a woman, but she's a very weak character. She is incredibly weak. And that's something that Emma Watson actually did really well in the movie adaptation because she's a boring, weak character. Yeah, well, but I'm pumped. Let's talk about the movie in a minute. But um, something <laughs> that they, they talked about in both the book and in the movie, they never said virtue signaling because of course they wouldn't, but it was virtue signaling, right? I'm so woke, I'm so cool, I'm doing these things. You should do these things like me, especially with that. We're, we're sending a bunch of smiles to this person because you know that'll make them feel better. It's not tangible, whatever. And then we're sending a bunch of frowns to this fascist regime because that'll do something it's like armchair activism at its absolute worst right this is like when you go on facebook and you're like rah 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 and you're 400 people who you have curated out of the entire billion people on the planet who are already your friends are like yeah you go (laughs) 
but then you don't do actually anything else. You don't spend any money or support candidates or pound the pavement or like actually work for change. But you're like, but I did something because I wrote about it on Facebook. This reminds me a lot of Tumblr culture. You know, the, the social justice warrior, which is a term I really dislike because it's just going after people who are trying are trying but yeah frowny faces oh we frowned at them whoa are we so powerful yeah like an asshole cares yeah they don't care like i think we've already said it but the freaking circle is a freaking cult man it is it is all the culty behavior they they separate you they give you all your needs they give you crap if you don't of course it's not required that you hang out after work and do your things that you know the stuff that we but why would you go anywhere else all your needs can be met here all your friends are already here blah blah blah, blah. oh my gosh and the fact that she doesn't even pick up on that at all is just it oh it's so frustrating it's so there frustrating people get into cults but you know considering like apple was going to have like housing for its own employees, Google's doing the same. I mean, these large companies are actually kind of doing that where you don't have a life outside of that company. They own you. Yeah, it's scary. It's interesting because now we've had the pandemic where people then went home (laughs) and a lot of the plans for these big parks and these big dorms and these things are kind of, they're not quite kosher anymore because, you know, that's, that's that. But yes, and I think that part of that too is, they call it a campus and it's not an accident, right? This is supposed to invoke feelings of college and like being free and like mind expanding and everybody's young and beautiful and you know, like th- their possibilities are infinite and blah, 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 blah. And there's nobody, there's nobody old here, you know, that cause why? And I, and I well, kept thinking of that as we went, except for the, the wise men, yes, and Thai, but like all of the other pro, you know, workers and whatever, they're all very young because that's the whole point of this is that it's very young, which is another failing of both book and movie is that we're not talking about all the people who wouldn't buy into this because they're not relevant somehow, but also it's not giving them any space because, but there would be, there would be so many people who wouldn't buy into this and wouldn't want to be a part of this, not just Mercer and not just her parents. Like her parents were kind of on the fence and then they, they got a taste and then they were embarrassed. And then they were like, no, we don't want this anymore. But just, there are people who refuse to wear masks. I mean, there are people who refuse to have cell phones. There are people who refuse to get a license. There are people who refuse to stand at the pledge of, I mean, people just want to be contrarian. And sometimes they're for good reasons and sometimes for stupid reasons, but like, there's no way that this would be so all encompassing that you would have this much buy-in. I just, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So the old people you get, you know, old relative term there, uh, they're the ones that are in control. They're the sharks. And then like her parents were like, oh, we just don't like this. Please don't. <gasps> Please don't. Well, I, I'm going to un- unheart you. Frowny face. I'm going to send you a frowny face. Yeah. So speaking of Mercer a little bit here in the book, Mercer is not portrayed particularly well. First of all, he's unattractive. He's, he's, um, I think she calls him fat. He's got, he's like, he's not a good looking person. Yeah. Like, her followers are like, Oh, look at the hair on his shoulders. And you know, he's 40 pounds overweight. Yeah. So it's just, her followers were really mean. 
he's called the scat squash. I mean, like lots of, but even before her followers, she's like, he really let himself go. He's all dumpy. You know, he doesn't care about fashion and, you know, looking good and blah, 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 blah. And he's, he writes these, these letter to her and he kind of has these little trees and he, the way he, he's not great. He's not, he, like you said, it's a straw man, right? In the movie, they made him young. They made him good looking. Dorky, but a good looking guy. A good looking dorky guy. Yes. But definitely not this such a negative thing as they did in the book. And I, I, I'm, I'm glad because it was almost like too easy to be like, well, of course this fat, ugly guy doesn't want to be part of our beautiful social utopia. You know what I mean? I just, so that was, that was it. But then they changed why, how he died pretty yeah. dramatically um in because the book. he didn't choose to die in the movie he chose to die in the book yeah it was suicide versus and in the book it it felt unearned yeah it was it felt like a very strange moment for mercer to decide to kill himself on camera yeah because like his life is fine and you don't see him going downhill at all because she writes him off and all of a sudden oh i'm going to have this beautific smile and kill myself and it was just no, if you're going to have a character die, you really have to have a good reason for it other than it's, it, it was so forgotten through most of this film. It, it was terrible yeah. writing choice. In, in both. In, he wasn't he wasn't the kind of person who would be a martyr in the book, and but then suddenly he is. And in the movie, we kind of forget that he exists until he's back. And then it's an accidental death, which makes it horrific, but also like nobody seems to be overly bothered by it. Like she's bothered by it, but everybody else moves on pretty fast. Well, that's one of the things is that she's allowed to be gracious because everyone else is hating mm -hmm. on him. If she were hating on him, she'd be bitchy. Yeah. So, so there's this kind of shot in for it. Oh, they're calling him a Sasquatch. Well, no, he's a really sweet guy. Oh, look at, they're calling him a Sasquatch. Ha, ha, ha. Yes. She's, she definitely gets off on it in the book. We get a lot more for internal monologue of her, kind of feeling justified in in this mocking of him i said in the book the story moves along but there's no increase of tension there's such little pushback by may and all the things that we don't get to sit with any of the sense of discomfort or trepidation because she doesn't have any discomfort or trepidation really i actually think if we could have like built it up like and focused on a few of the things instead of having it just be so scattershot it could have been scary it could have been moving along in a way that made us like worry about her but we we weren't we weren't worried about her yeah so that's that's a failure on eggers he can't build tension well the other thing i really think could have made this book better is if it had given us a year and said 2062 because then we would have been like okay so that's far enough in the future that you know it's very clearly not today but this is the way things are going but it was too close to today without setting enough because a lot of things would have to happen to get our society and how we are right now to this society, right? Not a lot, maybe, but but a, a, a number of things would have to happen. And we're not gonna, and in the book, we don't acknowledge that. And we also don't talk about any of them. So they're just plunking us down, but giving us the trappings of our modern day. So it feels disingenuous. It makes it hard to be to buy, have that buy-in. Whereas if you put it specifically in the future or even if you just said 30 years from now boom like that's it you don't even need a date then that gives you a time and a place in your head or like oh my god this could be where we're going as opposed to this is a multi this is a different universe that's you know also 2013 
but there's different than us, which makes it easier to be like, we won't do that. That's not us. That's this other imaginary world that Eggers has created, in my opinion. I don't mind having less dates because uh, 1984, oh, well, I had a date and you know we're past that, but the ramifications are still there. And so focusing on a date, I think, kind of takes away from the story a little bit. But to have a history of societal changes. So to have some recording of that, of, oh, yeah, we had this bullying issue and this is how it was dealt with. So that way we can see how this society has progressed other than, oh, well, this one guy streamlined it and here we are. Yeah, it just it felt like you said earlier, unearned the how we got where we are just feels unearned. It doesn't feel like we saw how we got there. So we don't care. Or believe this much yeah it's a lot of mob mentality yeah which does happen but there's also pushback and, and you know people are diverse it's like he has superficial diversity because here's the black character here's the asian character here's this character but there's no diversity of thought and that is something we definitely have yeah it's frustrating so i don't know there was there were some good things about the book but for the most part i was i was very Fresh. we didn't even talk about the love triangle aspect and the fact that there's a sex scene in a bathroom which is just like you said horribly written horribly written <laughs> the less said about that's probably i didn't even put it in my recap I well the funny thing that got me is like emma watson is the most uninteresting character i've ever seen and it's unfair for me to say the actress's name when it's may okay, yeah so is it but may she or doesn't emma, bring much but, charm to this well so as an actress she doesn't bring a lot of charm to the role but may is not interesting i don't know why she would have all these followers i mean she has a couple little funny lines but if you look at reality television it's never just somebody sitting at their desk who would watch that okay like that's a few things one i think emma watson can be charming i've seen her in things where she's charming may is not charming so i think emma watson did a good job of not being charming but i think that's more a may thing than an emma watson thing but she's supposed to be charming i don't think she's supposed to be charming i think she's supposed to be new like she's the first right like because we have our politician who's being transparent and we have may in the book that's or in the movie that's it in the book there's other people but in the movie this is it that's just her and it's the novelty aspect of it i think is the main and she's engaging with the people see we didn't actually see that too much in the movie but in the book she's responding to them constantly so then like people feel like they're special because she's responding to them and they're getting called out and like it's this it feeds upon itself yeah she's an influencer right exactly and we have those that we have tiktok influencers and and instagram influence i can't tell you how many times i've been talking to somebody and they're like oh somebody famous retweeted me or somebody famous liked my tweet and they they get all excited they tell everybody they know about it so i i get that that part wasn't a stretch of credulity for me that it was it didn't have to be somebody interesting plus again what she's doing is she's letting the non-circle people see the circle behind the scenes. Oh, I'm going to show you this piece of art. I'm going to show you our new project, blah, 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 blah. And it's like this campus, this magical mystery campus, that's just beautiful and perfect in all these ways that most people will never get a chance to see or engage with in real life. So there's that. I think that that was, was part of it. Why it was such a draw. I don't know, man, but I also don't watch reality TV, but like influencers are at least entertaining. Otherwise people wouldn't pay attention to them. Some people extent. are popular just because they're popular. Cough, cough, Kardashians. 
So I, I mean, again, I feel like we're splitting hairs here because it, I mean, yeah, but the Kardashians are a hot mess. Otherwise, people wouldn't watch them. I don't know. I don't watch them. My point is, though, that they, the, 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 the book tells us that she's popular, so she's popular, right? We can't really. And in the, in the movie, the same way. And I don't, my, my problem with Emma Watson as May is that I think she was trying so hard to be the May from the book, who is profoundly unlikable and narcissistic and so malleable, like babe in the woods, but also insipid that emma watson did such like she did a good job but she was unlikable and then we don't want to watch emma watson be unlikable in fact here's trivia they reshot a bunch of scenes because the first test audiences were like we hate emma watson in this this is awful they reshot scenes to make her more appealing and the second go around the audiences hated her even more so then when she was trying <laughs> to be more likable, it didn't work. So then they had to change the ending. That's part of why the ending got changed was so that because in the book, she is awful. She's a bad person. Right. And at the very end, like it ends. First of all, she doesn't try to take down the circle. She completely like has drank all the Kool-Aid. And at the very end, she's literally looking at her friend in a catatonic state and thinking, how unfair is it that she gets to have thoughts in her head that I don't get to know what they are? That sucks. Yeah. Okay. And she's, she's creepy. Like the end is creepy in the end of the movie though. She's like, I'm going to change the world. And then she doesn't, but like, she's trying, she has like this little speech to make her more likable. I mean, that's basically why that's there. And it's yeah. Yeah. Whew. See this book and movie should have been from the point of view of Ty. I created this thing and now I'm trying to take it down. You know, that would have been more mm -hmm. interesting. The, the movie was an, any other character would have been more interesting. The movie was anemic. It was just, anemic and it was so sucky because it had so many good people in this movie yeah it was a first-rate cast right and the script was not great but it wasn't as bad as some other scripts have been so i just but the there are so the many direction things was like bad. the pacing was not good there was no tension and and then emma watson i just the character of May. Okay, but like Kai comes out to her, well, I just like you. I'm like, why do you like her? You met her once and she's pretty and you're going to let her know that you're the inventor of this huge thing. I mean, like that, it, it was just ridiculous. It was like, everything was under yeah. it. And it was rushed. It definitely felt rushed. Yeah, and that came out like during halfway through the film. I double checked like the time on the film going, wait a second, it's not the end. Right. This is a weird time to have that come out and then drop it. Well, he's only in a couple scenes. In the, book, in the book, we had a lot more of her bumping into Ty and her actually asking him questions and him not answering and obfuscating and like flirting with the nod and then disappearing for weeks at a time and all of this stuff. Ghosting. You know, the book takes place over a much longer period of time. In the movie, we're so rushed. He tells her early who he is. Like there's no love triangle aspect, which is fine. But it was, it was, it was unearned. It was rushed and it just, it, then you don't care so much. Um, the fact that he liked her right away seemed to me just to be like one of those stupid Hollywood genre things where people fall in love at first sight or have a glass of wine and then suddenly we're, you know, romantically involved. I don't blah. Kaylee hates love. <laughs> well, this was, this wasn't even love. It was just like, no. I'm going to trust you with the world after being this person who invented this thing. And you're, 
I don't know, it reminds me of Ready Player One, where it's like, you didn't earn this. Nobody, no. like, Stephen King trivia doesn't make you a genius. It just makes you a nerd. And speaking of unearned, so another big change of the book, okay, because we have the ending, which is a huge change, and we have what happens to Annie, which is part of that big ending change. But the other thing that really changed in the movie that bothered me was, okay, in the book, she steals a kayak, has a beautiful moment, puts the kayak back, okay? No and one would have known. No one would have known. And the next day she gets to work and they're like, we have to talk. This is really serious. This is important, blah, blah, blah. And they know, right? And it's very creepy that they know. In the movie, she, okay, also the stealing the kayak, it wasn't put away. Somebody had left it outside of the fence at the place that she goes all the time. So she borrowed it and then put it back, but it wasn't inside. In the movie, she literally goes through a fence. Okay, so, okay, no, no question here. Stealing is happening. And then she almost dies and the cameras save her life. Now, I think they did that in the movie so that like her acceptance of it would be, would feel a little bit more genuine and make sense. Oh, okay, the cameras helped her. So now she's gonna be on the side of the camera. She's gonna see them as a good thing, but, it was it was flawed because it took away the creepy factor in the book it was creepy that they had watched her and then she was being judged and then it led into this whole thing like would you have stolen the kayak if you had known that you were on camera and she was like no of course not and yeah, then the that shame aspect them, of it right and that leads them into okay so if we're watching people all the time people will be less likely to do bad things like it makes that argument for it but in the movie since the auspices is now on the fact that she was rescued then it's about isn't it lovely that these cameras are there we can keep everybody safer which is a different thing keeping people safe versus stopping people from doing bad things like different motivations for the same piece of technology one is creepy one is warm and fuzzy and they have different tones and it sets the tone completely differently for the movie i will say that there are four plot major plot changes and i thought the book was terrible but they at least moved the book in a, like a smarter way than the movie. So like any being in the coma, um, Ty coming out versus not coming out or the rowboat experience, stuff like that. Like there, there are four um, Mercer's in his, in his suicide versus just mm -hmm. accidental death. Like there are four huge changes that completely take away from the theme of the book. Yeah, I think it just undermines any tension and any caring that you might, or any fear. The movie wasn't a thriller. It wasn't scary at all. The book actually made you feel vaguely uncomfortable. The book was much more like a Black Mirror episode where you're like, ooh, I don't know, man. The movie was boring. Yeah, the movie was absolutely terrible. I still think the book is absolutely terrible, but you're making me feel like there were at least a few redeeming points but yeah. it was so much of a straw man the whole time I'm listening to it. I was wondering, who is your audience? Because it feels like high school students, like freshman high school students who are dealing with like bullying and stuff like that. You can have conversations about this. But as, as, as adults, it doesn't further the conversation. It's just kind of like stuff that we've heard before. It's stuff that's been debated and discussed and argued and in a much better way than how this book presents it. Yep. Okay. I know we basically have heralded our feelings, but before we say them in our wrap up thing, I have a little bit of trivia here. Okay. First is there's a tiny bit of controversy in the weeks before the book's 2013 release, 
Kate Los, L-O-S-S-E, Los, Los, a former Facebook employee accused Eggers of plagiarizing her memoir, which is called The Boy Kings. And she said that it was basically because gender bias is why his book was more popular than hers. Other people were like, well, yours is a memoir and he's a novelist and it's a novel. So of course it's going to get more attention. Anyways, there, it, it was settled that he didn't actually plagiarize it. Okay. So there's that, but that is definitely a thing we should at least note. Let's see here. Oh, okay. So there's also another, cause I, like I said, he's a novelist, right? So this is not Dave Eggers first book. In fact, it's he's quite prolific. One of his other books was made into a movie that also starred Tom Hanks which is called Hologram for the King, which is another book and movie I've never heard of, but it has Tom Hanks in it. So now I feel like we should at least check it out, Jennifer, and see if it's worth watching or reading. Um, I don't know. That came out in 2016. So not too long after this. Or maybe read another one of him. I, maybe not. We could just look at it. I like, <laughs> I, unlike our mutual friend, like Tom Hanks. So, um, okay, let's see here. I will Both not support at- him financially or emotionally. <laughs> Says a friend of ours, not, not Jennifer, obviously. Both of the actors that portrayed the parents are dead and died soon. So this was Bill Paxton's final film. And Bill Paxton died while this film was being finished. So it was released after his death. And then a couple months after it was released, Glean Headley died shortly after. And that was who was playing the mom in this movie. So, okay. So here's our Star Trek trivia. We have no Star Trek trivia. But the reason we have no Star Trek trivia is because... This movie has casting from all the major geek fandoms, okay? We've got Emma Watson from Harry Potter. They do make a Quidditch joke in the film. We've got John Boyga, who's Finn in Star Wars, okay? We have Karen Gillian, who's Amy from Doctor Who. And Tom Hanks was almost cast as Zephyrin Cochran in First Contact, uh, it turns out that he, he couldn't do that because he was doing that thing you do. But Tom Hanks is on record as wanting to play a friendly Romulan. And those of you out there in the world who watch Picard, like me, know that there's hope. So there's a chance that Tom Hanks will be a friendly Romulan at some point. But I mean, come on. We got Harry Potter, Star Wars, and Doctor Who all in. I mean, that this is like geek love. So it's, it, which is a different book, geek love. Um, but that's that's worth worth noting. So there we go. Well, a couple little bit more trivia. Uh, there's a Soylent reference, but that's a drink. It's not a reference to Soylent Green, but that's another speculative fiction movie that was not very good, but had a good idea to it. And it is an actual drink. You can buy them at a lot of yeah. places. And so it's yeah. based off of like the drink. Um, and yeah. then this is all. Hey, hey, hey. How, how does Soylent taste? It, it varies from person to person. Ah, but I'm bummed. You're welcome. I've heard that one and. That's a future drama joke right there, just to bring in all the geek love. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Um, And then this is uh, the second time that Tom Hanks and Bill Paxton Paxton worked together since Apollo 13 in 1995. Yep, Apollo 13. Very good movie. Yeah, very good. Jennifer, was this book worth your time? Was this movie worth your time? Okay. No, no. Unhappy face. Unfollow. So you're saying just full frowny faces across the board. <laughs> frowny face, frowny face, frowny face. So both, both no book. Yeah. No yeah. I, 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 okay. So the book is a quick read. I'll give it that. And I, I was just annoyed with all the straw man 
writing of it, but it wasn't one of those where I, I was vomiting in my mouth as I was reading it. I have read books like that. Okay. What I love is that, you know how books, they put um, like quotes, part of the reviews inside and outside to get you to like know that other people think that this book is good. It's always a warning sign when the reviews are distilled down to one word, because that always makes me think that they cherry picked the word out. So here are some, some reviews from the inside of the book. Are you ready? Gripping, marvelous. It could have said a marvelous waste of time. We don't know. It just says marvelous, provocative, potent, absorbing, powerful. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways. What could have been a powerful message was lost by this terrible Seriously. author. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. Um, context matters. Okay. <laughs> Here's my, my thoughts. Like you said, the book is very fast. I, I actually, I bought it used. This is a beach read. This is a beach read. Take it and read it on the beach. Read it when you're not answering your phone for a little while and then feel morally superior that you're not answering your phone. Um, take it, read it. Don't post a picture of it on Instagram and then feel morally superior that you've you know, not done that. And then if you really want to see the movie, don't. Instead, go watch The Net. Do you remember The Net, Jennifer? Sandra Bullock. Yes. Okay. In The Net, it takes the idea of the internet and things being connected and like government or bad people messing with information. The most terrifying moment of that movie is when it changed the medical records to say, to change somebody's diabetes sta you know, status. So that then the medical people are giving the wrong medication because they only look at the computer and that's where they have. And that, that idea that once like an error or, you know, malfeasance or negative, whatever, whether it's accidental or intentional is in there. And then that's the thing. And that's how they decide what medicine you're going to get. And that could kill you. Oh my God. Like that movie was hokey. It was okay. It had the little skull and crossbones thing and she's running all around, but like she threw the computer off the counter because she was scared because it was giving misinformation. That movie took something that was happening in the modern day, something that we as a society were afraid of, took it to a logical extreme and made us wary and made us aware that there were negative consequences to things that we were currently kind of taking for granted this book tried this movie failed go watch the net so go watch apollo 13 the net and strange, strange days, days. <laughs> yes and you will have a good evening <laughs> much better than i did watching the film yes but since we're all still using facebook come find us on facebook uh kmma media <laughs> page some popcorn podcast like and subscribe Send us your hearts and smiles. <laughs> Review. Zing. Zing. <laughs> Tell your friends. I promise Do all the if, things. if you comment on our page, I'll probably get comment back to you because you know I'm trying to be with it and there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm freelance, so I'm always sitting here. <laughs> My phone is attached to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyways, Jennifer. I, you know what, sometimes it's fun to read a bad book and watch a bad movie. And uh, it is, this there is a reason why I keep doing this podcast with you. <laughs> this movie was free because it's on prime and I already pay for prime. And so the robot overlords are judging me because, oh, oh, so this is funny. Okay. So there's a reality TV show called the circle. Do you know this? No. Oh my God. Yes. 
So my daughter looks at this book and she's like, is this about, cause, cause over the summer we had one brain candy show. We watched this reality show called the circle where people like, basically they do social media and then they get voted on like, who's the most popular. And if you're the least popular, you get kicked out of the apartment. Okay. But you're all your interaction with the other players is just through the app. There's no person to person at all. It is just through the app. And it is hilarious because people are obviously catfishing and they're like trying to like figure out what to say and how to say it to create, you know, to make people think certain things about them. And so it is a trip, but it made me think of I mean, this book made me think of that. And that was really great. Also it's on Netflix. And when I was searching to see where to watch this, I put the circle in. And of course that came up and then, and then there's another thing called circle on Netflix right now, which is a whole bunch of people are like randomly transported into a room. And there's like, I don't know, 50 of them and they have, they're all going to die except for one person. Like that's like, it's like the saw movies or something. I don't know. Everyone's going to die except for one. And as a group, they have to pick which person's going to live. I have not watched it yet, but that premise sounds interesting. So there's all your circle knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Watch the circle, watch the other circle, watch the other circle. Don't watch this circle, watch the net. And we will talk to you next time. Thanks, Jennifer. Bye, Kalia. I just hit record just now. <laughs> yeah, it says recording in progress. Yes, it does. Lightly eerie voice. Recording in progress. Hello, Jennifer. Okay, you do that too well. Would you like to play a game? The weather in Fresno today is 100 degrees with a high of 102 degrees. Have a good afternoon, Jennifer. You seriously do that too well. <laughs> Everyone needs a skill.